when I first looked at this passage from Isaiah, I have to admit my initial reaction was help. One of the commentaries said, and this reassured me a bit, that this is part of the least read and the least preached on sections of Isaiah. So lucky you lot, it's got novelty value. (laughs) Seriously. All scripture is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction and training in righteousness. So let's be open this evening to be taught and trained by these ancient oracles. But first let's pray. Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Well, you know the path each one of us is on. You know where our feet are standing. And we pray that in whatever way we need, your word would be that lamp and light to us. And that we might follow where you show us the ways to go. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, hidden in these verses are some valuable reminders about what it means for Isaiah to be a prophet of the Lord and what is the prophetic word. So let's look at what we see of Isaiah's role. He was a biblical prophet. And he is described here as a watchman, verses 11 and 12. Someone who keeps watch or guard over what is happening. Someone who sees beyond how things appear on the surface. So therefore, the prophet is someone to whom God's people and even other nations can turn for wisdom. Verse 11, someone calls to me from Zaire, not from God's people then. And they call watchmen, what is left of the night. It's a cry for insight into what is really going on. Now the prophet has something to say in response because God, Yahweh, has first spoken to him and he has listened. Verse 16. This is what the Lord says to me. And what he now relays to the listener as promise or warning or assurance. First, spoken, and then, as we have it, written down. Now, for the prophet, the word from the Lord is sure and certain. It is enough, end verse 17, that the Lord, the God of Israel, has spoken. It will surely come to pass, though he and we may not ourselves see it but it will come to pass. So we, like the first hearers, are to take this word seriously as from God. But that does not mean that all is immediately obvious. I expect you picked that up just as you were listening. In some ways, it seems to me that biblical prophecy is akin to poetry. In other words, it can be extremely dense, 
often using symbolic language, and it may have many layers of meaning. And these, in turn, may be fulfilled in different ways at different times. And again, like poetry, the feel of the prophecy may be more important than the actual maths, as it were, trying to say that X means Y and this equals that. It may be that the feel of the prophecy is significant. Now, on top of that, these oracles, they speak of specific people, places, and events which are so long ago and so far away that we, to be honest, find it hard to connect with them. But what matters more is that we should be alive to what these oracles reveal about the character of God. For God hasn't changed since Isaiah wrote these words. Both these short oracles, the word, as you know, can also be translated burdens, for they are heavy words which the prophet carries, as it were, from God to the hearers. Both of them deal with tough situations. In the first, nothing is happening, and that's a challenge. In the second, far too much is happening. In fact, there's a whole load of conflict happening. And that throws up other questions. The point is that God is in both situations. And he speaks then and he speaks now to his people for those who have ears to hear. So, all that is kind of background. Probably knew it anyway, but... It was helpful to me. Uh, Let's look at each one of them in turn. So we'll begin with verses 11 and 12. This is the oracle concerning Duma. Duma. You may well wonder. The title is enigmatic. Duma was an actual place name. It was a district in the south of Edom. And this would connect with the person calling from Zaire in the center of that country. And in case you don't know, I'm not great at geography, but Edom lay southeast of Judah towards Arabia. So on the one hand, Isaiah is referring to a specific place in a recognizable historical context. But at the same time, Duma means silence. Silence. And the prophecy speaks into those tough times in our experience symbolized here by the night when nothing seems to be happening. God is silent and whatever darkness we feel seems just to be going on and on forever. Maybe that resonates with some. It seems the prophet is inviting us not to limit our response to this word from the Lord to the specific context. Well, let's deal first with the specific context, and that too is far from clear. It could be that Edom is groaning under the oppression of the Assyrians, who, if you recall, were the superpower of the day, and Edom longs to be liberated. What is left of the night? And Isaiah is warning, there will be relief, morning is coming, but then also the night. 
representing the fact that they would then be dominated by another mighty power, in this case Babylon, but all that lies in the future. That's what it could mean in the first instance. But we can also take this symbolically. Remember what I said about poetry. This impacts on a variety of levels. So, for us as individuals, Isaiah hears an unnamed person calling. In a sense, the someone could be any one of us. Reaching out in the midst of despair. Watchman, what is left of the night? Watchman, what is left of the night? The repetition underlines the sense of unbearable waiting, of feeling left in the darkness. It's the same as the psalmist cry, How long, O Lord, how long? Nothing seems to be happening to lift the darkness. And it's a cry that this person directs to the prophet, who at the time represented Yahweh, the living God. But it's a cry which we can take directly, each one of us, to our Lord Jesus Christ, the true prophet, sent by God to be a mediator between us and him. Waiting time, especially long periods of waiting, when prayers do not seem to be answered and nothing seems to shift, is very hard for us to bear. I've done a lot of waiting in my time. It's very hard. And the best place to take our frustration is to Jesus. What is left of the night? How much longer? And it's okay, friends, to go on and on taking that burden to him. Verse 12. If you would ask, then ask and come back yet again. So what answer comes? Well, the first answer from the prophet says, morning is coming. Morning is coming. Apparently the tense here is the perfect of certainty. Morning is sure to come. There will be an end. An end which brings light and with it new possibilities. And in this we can hope. But at the same time, Trust and faith need to stay strong because the second word says, the morning is not coming yet, but also the night. Also the night. Does that resonate with any of you? The sense of being in a stuck place. You don't know what's going on. What is God up to? And there seems no end in sight however you look at it, however you try and work out the maths. How long, O Lord? Now you may need to hear this word so that rather than despair, your trust may be strengthened. God has heard your cry. He is in your darkness. It is not happening outside his purposes. For you see, God is at work not only in dramatic acts like the fall of Babylon, which you looked at last week, but also in long tracts of time when nothing seems to be happening at all. Now, my experience over the years as a Christian tells me that God's timing is almost never the same as I would choose. 
And it's invariably longer, a lot longer. But we can hold on to the gospel promise that in Christ, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Hold on. Morning is coming, but also the night. God has heard. Then now verses 13 to 17, an oracle concerning Arabia. Again, the title has double meaning. The oracle addresses Arabs and refers to several places in the desert of Arabia and peoples living there. So to help you, I've done a bit of the work for you. Timar, verse 14, was an oasis city some 200 miles east of the Red Sea where caravans of tribes would turn up and stop for refreshment. Remember, we're in the desert. The Dedanites, verse 13, and Kedar, verse 16, were both Arabian tribes. But, at the same time, of Arabia could also read in the evening or at eventide, a time when light is fading, darkness is coming on, which reflects the troubled circumstances approaching these particular tribes, but could also be interpreted more widely to other fearful coming times. So what was going on? Well, in this oracle, we see Arab tribes fleeing from a war zone. Verse 15 mentions the fugitives fleeing from the sword, from the drawn sword, from the bent bow, from the heat of battle. And Timah is urged, verse 14, this oasis, to bring water for the thirsty and food for those fleeing from war. They seek shelter, they seek to camp in the thickets of Arabia, but it's only temporary lodging. There is no real security there. So what we basically have here is a refugee crisis. And we have one Gentile tribe supporting another as best they can. Respite and hope will, however, be brief. For verse 16, within a year, all the pomp of Kedar will come to an end and there will be few survivors. Verse 17, the survivors will be few. So what are we to make of this oracle? Well, several things I noticed. Firstly, God surely fulfills his word. God surely fulfills his word. This conflict and its subsequent defeat is what the Lord says would happen. He gives his word. Notice Isaiah mentions God speaking twice. In verse 16, this is what the Lord says to me. End of verse 17, the Lord, the God of Israel, has spoken. And God surely carries out what he has said. This prophecy was fulfilled in Isaiah's lifetime. When mighty Assyria overwhelmed this area of desert, Between 732 and 703 BC, Assyrian leaders campaigned against these tribes and finally subdued them. 
Now, this fulfillment, it seems to me, not only authenticates Isaiah as a true prophet from God, but it confirms for all to see that Yahweh, the God of Israel, is sovereign over all tribes and peoples and nations, whether they acknowledge him or not. Because this oracle has come to pass, it should give us confidence that some other oracles which await fulfillment will indeed do so in God's time. God surely fulfills his word. Secondly, God is sovereign over time. God is sovereign over time. And how things appear at any given point in time is not necessarily how they will remain. Verse 16 mentions all the pomp of Kedar as though it was both impressive and legendary. But God has set a time limit on it, which is within one year, verse 16, as a servant bound by contract would count it. All the pomp of Kedar will come to an end. Now, Isaiah has used this interesting description before, and the idea is that a hired laborer would be counting the hours until his job was done. So it certainly wasn't going to be any longer than a year. It's that certain. People and nations may appear very impressive to us. They may look like mighty warriors to be feared, but God can effortlessly bring down the mighty and humble the proud whenever he chooses, whenever he chooses. Now, it may be Assyria who actually carries out the humiliation and the defeat, but it is the will of God directing Assyria at the time God appoints. So God surely fulfills his word. He gives his word. He keeps his word. God is sovereign over time. And finally, God is the only security worth having. The only security worth having. The implication of this oracle, the feel of this oracle, if you like, is where will we look to for our security? These Gentile tribes may well have felt safe in their desert. They had their pomp. They had their bowmen and their warriors. They had their oasis. And they had each other to depend upon. But ultimately, none of these counted for anything. All these could be taken from them at a word from the living God. Well, what happened on a local scale to desert tribes that we've never heard of before will one day happen everywhere. Would you turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 24? That's page 993, the reading that Alan brought to us. Matthew chapter 24. Here, Jesus himself takes up the mantle of watchman. 
And in a similar vein to Isaiah, he prophesies coming destruction. He begins with Jerusalem and its temple. You remember the disciples, they just commented on how beautiful the buildings were. And Jesus says, uh, and that's verse 2, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. It would have seemed impossible to imagine for the disciples. But in AD 70, the lifetime of some of those disciples, the Romans completely destroyed Jerusalem and razed the temple to the ground. Not one stone was left upon another. God surely fulfills his word. And Jesus then goes on that we too are to become watchmen. Verse 4, watch out and guard the truth which is in us. Trusting God is at work even in times of deep darkness. Then wars and rumors of wars, verse 6. But we are not to be alarmed. Why? Because God has told us beforehand such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Morning is coming, but also the night. The situation darkens still further. Famines, earthquakes, persecution and even death with leavers, false prophets, increase of wickedness. And we may well wonder, how long? How long, O Lord? What is left of the night? But this calls for trust and faith as it did to the someone from Zaire. For Jesus says, verse 13, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Will be saved, but stands firm to the end. Friends, heaven and earth will pass away, but the words of the living God and the living Christ will never pass away. And we need to find our lasting security in him. It's the only security worth having. Let's pray. Loving, living God, your word searches our hearts and minds and our lives are laid bare and open before you. May your word do its work in us, its work of cleansing, its work of strengthening, of encouraging, of stealing our spirits to stand firm even in deep darkness and to keep trusting in your word. Lord, you have promised that you are able to keep us from falling. We say again, Lord Jesus, we trust you. You are our security. But we cry to you, strengthen 
this faith and trust in us as well that we will stand firm to the end. In your name and in the power of your name we pray. Amen.